Bibles to the book of John. One of the things that came out in that, in that meeting was, uh, there's many things that did, but one of the, the, the constants in these first two, three chapters uh, was how, how Jesus called his disciples, how they trusted him, who did, who didn't. But also we, we see that, that Jesus, right off the bat, confused some people, right off the bat, offended some people. And uh, right off the bat, people got them, some of them got them, some of them didn't, and uh, they got a totally different experience. Do you know, if you ever went to a Jesus sermon, if you went there and you saw Jesus and you heard him speak, you probably had some hype backing it up. People were like, oh, you got to hear this guy. Oh, man, you, I mean, see some of the stuff he does, the miracles, wow. And you'd show up. But depending on where your heart was at, you might get a totally different experience than everybody else. You might get a different experience than your neighbor, than your, your, your brother that came with you. Jesus uh, did divide some people. There were some people that, that loved him or hated him, but not too many people that were ambiguous about him. And uh, really, we, I've heard, you know, growing up and, and learning, learning and growing up and being trained in the ministry, uh, you hear people tell you, well, you know, Jesus taught in parables so it would be easy for us to understand. He, he told stories for us to understand. And that's true for his disciples. It made some things clear. But when they asked him, why do you speak in parables? He said to make it hard for them to understand. He didn't say, I tell stories so people can understand my sermons easier. He said, I tell, I tell them in parables so that they don't get it. That the ones who are seeking me will understand it. But those that have, closed, have hardened hearts that are just here to criticize, or just here to, to, to see a show, they're not going to get anything. He said to his disciples, don't, don't uh, cast your pearls before swine. Don't give what is holy to dogs. It may not, may not be very uh, nice for us to think of the fact that our, our dear loving Savior called people dogs. But uh, what he is saying there is, you know, think about a pig. If you were to give him a pearl and, and pigs, you know, they, we know if you've ever been around pigs, that, you know, I've, I've been on a couple farms that had pigs and wasn't very special, you know. I mean, I just thought, huh, I don't know if I want to eat this thing anymore, you know. But they'll eat, they'll eat pretty much anything you give to them. I'm sure they've got some favorites, but they don't tell you. They just really just chow down on whatever you gave them. But just imagine for a moment that you do have some corn or some potatoes or something to give them. I've never seen them feed potatoes to a pig, but let's just imagine. I'm sure somebody does, you know. <laughs> they'll eat it. <laughs> And uh, the pigs love that stuff. Oh, give me some corn. I like that. That tastes good. It satisfies. Mmm, that's wonderful. I don't care if it's been in the mud. I prefer it that way. This is the way they think. But if you were to cast them a pearl, now a pearl to us is worth a lot of money. Diamonds, pearls, gold, it's worth a lot of money. But you give it to a pig, he's going to chomp down on it, and he's going to get ripped off. This does not taste near as good as corn. In fact, it hurt my teeth, and I'm angry at you for this. I don't know if pigs keep grudges, but Jesus said, if you throw a pearl before a swine, he will be angry and trample you under his feet. Because they didn't recognize the value of something. Because all the pig wants is something that satisfies his flesh, right? He wants something to eat, something that tastes good, something that feels good. A pearl, you have to understand, it has worth that goes beyond the senses, that goes beyond your, your stomach, that goes beyond your belly. And so a pig doesn't understand that just in the same way that we as believers, when Jesus gave us these beautiful gems and pearls of his word, we can get so used to living in the world that we want something that satisfies the senses. 
I want, I want that preacher to, to tell enough funny jokes that he'll keep my attention. I want, the, I want the screen to have enough media that I don't get distracted with something else. I want the lighting to be just right so that I feel like I'm at a concert. Otherwise, I'm out of here. Now, there's nothing wrong with all of those things. But if you can't focus without those things, there's something wrong. If that's why you're coming to church, there's something wrong. Praise God, I believe in technology. I believe in, in uh, using media. I believe all that thing, but that's not the point. If it becomes the point, we're missing it. And so the problem with the pig is he, he doesn't know the value of something. He just wants something to satisfy his belly. If it doesn't satisfy his belly, he's angry. Now, I've been in groups like this where if you don't tell enough jokes, if you don't keep it short enough, they don't like you. They don't want to have you back. And you may have, you may have, I mean, you may have opened the word of God and, and the Holy Spirit was there to enlighten and to teach and to, to ins- not just inspire, but to transform. Oh, man, there have been times where you go, oh, wow, I, I didn't even know that I could preach that. I didn't know, oh, the Holy Spirit is so good. And you'll get a couple of people that go, well, thank Jesus, that's exactly what I needed. And the rest of the people go, oh, he preached long. He's funnier most times. I don't know why he wasn't funny. Normally he tells them, I'm sorry. You know, they brought their friends. I'm sorry. Not the best one to bring you to. You know? <laughs> and uh, it's, why? Because they're not, they're not valuing the word as it's meant to be valued. They're not valuing the pearl for what it is. So Jesus says, don't waste that pearl on the pigs. He says, don't, I mean, he says, don't, don't throw what is holy to the dogs. And in the same sense, he saved some of his best teaching for just him and his disciples. Now, when we find about the, the, the part I'm mentioning where he says, I speak in parables so that uh, I speak in parables so that they won't understand it, they won't hear it, that's that comes straight out of Luke. And in Luke he says, You've your, he says the heart of the people, he quotes from the Old Testament, he says, The heart of the people have become dull. That's important because uh, it wasn't an instant thing. It wasn't uh, one night. It says they've, in, the King James says it's waxed gross. It's become, over time, hard and dull. And it says they've closed their eyes. Listen to that. They've closed their eyes. A lot of people will blame that on God. But it says they've closed their eyes. They've shut their ear. With their heart, they scarcely understand. And he says, so they're hardened. And the more I speak to them, the harder they get. And so, so they don't turn. They don't see, they don't hear, they don't understand with their heart. And they, lest they would turn and I would heal them. That's what Jesus says. If your eyes are open, if your ears are open, if your heart is open, you'll turn and he will heal you. He'll heal the things that are broken in your spirit. He'll heal the things that are wrecked in your life. He'll adjust the things that need to be adjusted. He'll prune what needs to be pruned. He'll reinvigorate. He'll cause to come back to life the things that have died. But you have to have open eyes, open ears, open hearts. And you ask yourself, okay, in, in Luke, for instance, and it tells a story in, all, in, in different Gospels as well. But you, you ask yourself, you know, Mark 4 or or in Luke, or in you know, Matthew, you, you say, what was different about the disciples? Why did he give it to them? Now, first of all, we know that when he's talking to these disciples, it's not just the 12, because a couple chapters earlier, he said there was a large crowd of disciples that followed him. And then after that, it talks about the mob that came to see him. Those are two different things. 
there's a large crowd of disciples, disciples who've come to hear his word and be changed, who are doers of the word. Then there is a mob of people that want to see a show and hear that he's a good teacher and hear that they may see a miracle and that's why they're there. There's also a group who are there to criticize. Isn't it funny? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers and chief priests and the scribes, they were some of Jesus' best... I mean, he, they attended the meetings better than anybody. They, it seems like they show up and every time he's got a crowd, they're there. They were there at John's baptisms. They were there. I mean, they know how to show up where the people are. But they're there to criticize. You know, these folks still show up at church services. <laughs> Maybe not tonight, thank God. But, uh, you know, there are folks that will show up at your church just because they want some juice on you. Just because they want something to knock you down about. <laughs> you don't need to be one of those people. And you don't need to look for those people. Let God worry about that. But here's what happens. So they had that group. And so when he was done, it says the disciples followed him up the mountain and asked him, what did you mean by that? Now, isn't it interesting that the rest of the crowd did not ask that question? I've said this before, but, but have you ever noticed that he's talking about the parable of the sower. Have you ever thought that they came to hear a guy teach the word of God and he gets up and says things like, he does not say the, sow, the sower sows the word. He doesn't say that till he gets up the mountain with the disciples. All he says is, a sower sows the seed. If he throws it on the road, the birds eat it. If he throws it on the rocky ground, it doesn't go deep. It dries up because it has no roots. If he, he says, if he throws on the thorny ground, it grows for a little while, but then the thorns choke it out. And then and he says, and it's good ground, and it'll bury 30, 60, 100 fold. No, at no point does he say God. At no point does he say the word. He just told just tell him about farming. That's not even advanced farming. It's stuff that a five-year-old could tell you. Oh, okay. I throw it on the road, it doesn't grow? Okay, right. Can you imagine bringing your friend to see Jesus? Oh, your life's going to be changed? Oh, wow. Wife drags her husband. All right, this better be worth it. All right, no, trust me, it's going to be good. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's going to tell us about God. And then he starts telling a farming story, and, the, and then he says, okay, I'm done. He walks away. This is what we came for. <laughs> Got ripped off. This isn't, the, this isn't what you promised me. I thought he was going to talk about God. I know about farming. That's what I do. Does he think we're stupid? None of them ask the question. <laughs> None of them go, you mean something more than that, don't you? You're, you're hinting at something. What does that mean? Just the disciples who followed him up the mountain. And said, no, 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 we're not leaving you alone until you tell us what that means. Thank God. Because, why? Because they had open ears, open eyes, open hearts. But the ones who had closed their eyes, closed their ears, closed their hearts, and their hearts had become dull and hardened, they didn't get anything from God, and it didn't seem to bother them too much. And they left. And Jesus isn't going to throw his pearls to those people. You know, some of the best, some of the, some of the most beloved sayings of Jesus, whether we're talking about the Beatitudes or we're talking about, I mean, or I mean, when we're talking about like the, the second half of the book of John, some of that's my favorite, my, 
I mean, I love everything that Jesus said, but some of that's my, the most learning, the most teaching I've ever got is out of that second half of the book of John when he just expands on, on life in the Spirit and, and being connected to Him and, and the Holy Spirit, all of these things. And that was just to a small group of disciples. So, there's something to be said about having an open heart, open eyes, open ears. So that you can hear and you can understand. What you have to do is to first believe. We've got it backwards in our society. We've got a society that says, show it to me, prove it to me, and maybe I'll believe. But then they see miracles and they don't believe. They hear the word and they don't believe. They experience the power of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and they don't let it nudge them down the field one yard because their hearts are already hard. We got to flip it around. I don't want you to be believing everything. But listen, we grew up in a cynical generation and there's a reason for it. From the time that I've been a baby to the time I stand before you right now, I have commercials and advertisements. Even if you never watch TV, you have commercials and advertisements flying at you all the time. And we're smart enough to know they can't all be right. It's good to have some healthy skepticism towards those things. Why? Because commercials are designed for one purpose, to sell you something. And here's how they do it. They convince you you're unhappy right now. But if you buy this, you'll be happy. Until you buy it, and they try to sell you the next thing. They say, no, oops, our bad. You're still unhappy. And here's why. You don't have this. So we know we're being lied to. Apple can make that iPad. They, they don't, I mean, they can make it so sentimental and, and play this beautiful music and show the grandparents with the grandbabies and say, it's magical. Oh, it's those human moments in life. You ever wonder like why Pepsi or Coke is, gets so sentimental and they're not talking about a beverage, they're talking about how your heart feels and things like that? They're just manipulating you. They don't love you. And we all know that, Right? You don't think Coke loves me. I don't go home and, oh, gee, those guys at Coke, they love me. Boy, Steve Jobs, he gave his life for me. No, he didn't. None of them did. They used you. And when you understand that, you can be skeptical towards that stuff because, because it says in the, at the beginning of John, it says, it says they were believing in Jesus, but Jesus himself entrusted himself to no man. For he knew what was in the heart of men. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, it says a spiritual man appraises all things, but he himself is appraised by none. So it's okay to say, I don't trust the world and I don't trust the system. You don't have to be an anarchist. Because of course the scripture says, obey. It says pray for your government. It says follow authority on earth and do it as unto the Lord. But you don't have to trust all that. You don't have to trust the commercials. You don't have to trust. You can be skeptical towards that. But we've let that bleed into the rest of our life. And that's the problem. Is we've grown so skeptical of all this stuff that we're used to being lied to. And we're saying, prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it. And that's okay when it comes to the world. But that's no, not okay when it comes to the word of God. Because the problem is, is that you're assuming that God is like a human being and he can lie. But the Bible says God is not a man, he's not a human, that he would lie. So you can't treat him like everybody else. The minute he speaks, the moment he opens his mouth, it is perfect. It is true. And you've got to take it that way. 
Uh, you don't have to trust every person on the planet. In fact, you're silly if you do. You don't have to trust... Uh, guys, I'm going to... I hope this doesn't shake you up too much, but you don't have to trust every preacher that shows up on, on your television or on, in a book you picked up from verses. They're not all right. You trust the Word of God, though. And when you do that, thank God you'll know who to listen to and you'll know who not to listen to because you'll know the truth and you'll recognize counterfeit. You'll recognize something that's off because you'll know the shepherd's voice and a stranger's voice you will not follow because you don't know their voice. But we've got to flip it around instead of saying, prove it and I'll believe. You've got to say, I'll believe and then this will prove out. What does the Bible say? Prove me now in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. God is expecting you to believe Him and act, and it will prove itself out. Praise God. God is not afraid of being proven. He seems to like showdowns. First step is, a, is belief, though. You've got to believe Him first. You're not going to see those things. Remember when Jesus came down... He came down to where Mary and Martha lived, where Lazarus had already gone. Um, He'd already died. And Jesus speaks to them and comforts them. And then he says, roll the stone away. And and Mary goes, by this time he stinks. He's been in there for days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He didn't say, if you see the glory of God, you'll believe. He says, if you believe you'll see the glory of God. Well, let's look in that book of John that I told you to open to. Thank you, Jesus. The beginning of Jesus' ministry started out interesting. And it never got uninteresting. One of the first things that happens, of course, we're, we, we open up with an introduction to who Jesus was, the Word of God made flesh, the image of the invisible God. And then... The first story we're told is the story of John baptizing for the repentance and the remission of sins, preparing the way of the Lord. When he sees Jesus, he knows Jesus. They're related after all. But he doesn't recognize exactly who he is until he baptizes him. He recognizes he's something special because he says, I'm not even worthy. You should be baptizing me. But he doesn't fully recognize him until the Holy Spirit comes as a dove, it wasn't, a, it wasn't necessarily a dove, but like a dove, the Holy Spirit came and rested. And John said, God told me when I would see the Holy Spirit come down and remain that this is the guy I've been waiting for. So he recognizes him. He gets excited. And then there's this moment when he's standing with his disciples and he's been telling them about this guy who is to come, right? People ask him, are you the guy? And he goes, I'm not the guy. I'm not even worthy to tie that guy's sandals. You wait till he comes. He's standing with a couple of his disciples. I don't know what they're doing. They're just hanging out. And you know, John's disciples had to be hardcore, right? Couldn't be lukewarm around this guy. You wouldn't have lasted a day. It wouldn't last lasted five minutes. This guy grew up in the wilderness. He probably didn't have the best manners. Probably didn't smell great. He probably didn't have much patience for, for stupidity. And I don't mean like low IQ. I mean like unbelief and, and, and just 
not trusting God. He probably didn't have much patience for any of that. He probably was not the easiest guy to hang around. So these guys, they're hardcore, right? I don't know if they ate the locusts and honey like he did, but whatever. They hung out with him. And when he says he sees Jesus and John being the wilderness boy, the Mowgli of his time, he doesn't go, look, chaps, that's the fellow I was telling you about. He yells, right? It's a guy you do not invite to parties. King Herod found that out. But here's what you do. He sees Jesus walking by and goes, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what did his disciples do? Two of them. They just go, okay, see you. <laughs> and they were right to do so. That was the right move. The ones that stuck with John went down a bad path. Towards the end of their journey with John, they're saying things to Jesus like, are you the guy or should we look for another? I mean, they got way off track. They should have picked up the cue when John said, he must increase, I must decrease. And when I say, there he is, leave me and follow him. And so two of the disciples said, okay, buddy, see ya. That's it. That's what, that's what we've been waiting for, right? It may sound disloyal, but they know he's the one I'm supposed to follow. They follow him. And something cool happens, of course. You know about the miracle at Cana, the water turning into wine, right? And this, we talked about this at men's meeting, but this, this seemed like it wasn't on the schedule because Jesus is at the wedding. He's just there. He's just there at the wedding. And his mom goes, because moms do this, right? Moms, moms just are, they just love their kids, right? And they just want everybody to know how special my kid is, you know? And so she's like, oh, the, 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 you just have water left? <laughs> I bet my son can do something about that. You know what? You can do something. And he goes, and this is how Jesus talks to his mom. And I, I'm sorry if I offend any of you that have a very great view of Mary. I do too. Mary is a wonderful lady. I don't believe she's worthy of worship, but she was highly favored and blessed to the Lord. Amen. I admire her. But, I pray to Jesus. Anyways, so Jesus goes, woman. <laughs> and if I talk to my mom that way, I might get slapped. But he goes, woman, what does this have to do with us? My time has not yet come. This was not supposed to be the first miracle. But people put faith in him. And God responds to faith. And because these people said, okay, what do you want us to do? Jesus goes, all right. <laughs> all right, fill, fill them up, fill them up. And he does this miracle. And here's what I want you to see. In John chapter 2, he's done this miracle. It turns to wine. The, uh, the groom is, is thrilled, right? He's like, you saved the best for last. This is awesome. Man, you made, my, you made this party worthwhile. Thank you. And... Uh, so it says this, it says in verse 11 of chapter 2, this beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. What does manifested mean? And something that was hidden is now being uncovered or revealed. He manifested, he uncovered, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You find it interesting that it doesn't say the whole world believed in him? Because his disciples believed in him. 
They're the ones that, that recognized that this was not just a party trick. It wasn't just, I mean, I'm sure other people didn't think it was a trick, but they kind of let it slide. But his disciples believed in him. Then later on, when he's, remember what he, the first time he, he clears out the temple, he does this two times in his ministry, at the beginning and at the end. He clears out the temple, he, he makes a big scene, he makes a big mess. And then he says this. He says in, in, in verse 18, the Jews are obviously a little bit upset. Then they said to him, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? You come into the church and you wreck stuff, you better have a reason for it. He says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days. They're not liking him so far. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he'd said this and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. When did they believe this? After he'd already risen from the dead. They did not understand this when he said it. In fact, nobody did. And the funniest thing is, Jesus doesn't take time to say, what I mean by that is this. He leaves it alone. He's just cool with the fact that nobody gets what he just said. I mean, here's a guy that wrecks the temple, then he tells you, go ahead and tear it down, I'll build it again. And he doesn't say, oh, I can see by your faces, you don't know what I meant, I'm sorry. Sometimes I forget. I speak in, in, in riddles. I, let me explain this to you. His disciples are looking at him weird. The Jews are looking at him furiously. And when we, say, when we see in the scripture the Jews, we're not talking about everybody who's Jewish. We're talking about the leaders. They're not happy with him. And he doesn't explain himself. And it's not till after he's risen from the dead that they clue in, oh, You see, Jesus laid down these hints all through his life. And to us, they seem so glaringly obvious. He says, you know, I'm going to be, there's a sign of Jonah. I'll be in the the ground three days, then I'll come out. He says here, you know, I'll tear tear down this temple and I'll raise it up. You know, he says, son of man will be lifted up and he'll draw all men to himself. Then he'll be raised up again. I mean, and they're not cluing in that he's actually saying, I'm going to rise from the dead. So when he dies, they go and they have a pity party and they're sad and they hide out. And nobody's expecting that he's going to get up. There's something to be said about just taking Jesus at his word, even if you don't completely get what he just said. You're going to be at church services. You're going to open your Bible from time to time and say, I don't completely get why that is. Or maybe you understand it. In fact, I believe that the Holy Spirit is uh, the anointing abides within, is able to teach you of all things. He's a teacher. He's a guide. I believe if you pray, you pray before you open that Bible, you ask God to reveal things to you, He will reveal to you. The Bible says in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. I believe He's the revealer of mysteries. But at the same time, there's going to be things that you say, I know it says that, but I don't know why it says that. There may be things that you disagree with. You know, there are things in our Bible, and I'm talking the New Testament even, that are very offensive to our culture. And you just got to say right off the bat, he's right. 
He's right. And you know what? When you say that, suddenly you begin to get some understanding that you didn't get before. But if you go to the Word and you say, God, tell me why this is or else I won't do it. Believe me, there's been plenty of, plenty of really in-depth books written, DVD series that try to explain in, in very down-to-earth mental sense why the Bible makes sense and why you should follow it, why you should obey it. But that's backwards. I believe in explaining those things. I believe that God will enlighten you. But you need to start by obeying it. And then, you know what? He reveals things to you. He opens your eyes. The first step is belief. The first step is saying, okay, I believe you. I may not get it, but I have faith. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. It says Abraham set out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. Because if he did know where he was going, that wouldn't be faith. The Bible says hope that is seen is not hope at all. So sometimes we say, God, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. And he says, I want you to go to Singapore. And you go, why though? He says, you'll find out. And then you go, but God, how? And he goes, you'll find out. Nope. God, you got to give me a map. If you don't give me a map, if you don't give me a full schedule and itinerary, I'm not going. I'm not going until I know everything that's going to happen because I'm not just going to fly somewhere like an idiot and show up and wait for something to happen. Is that faith? Maybe a little bit of faith, but it's not the faith you need. Sometimes you just got to go. I'm not saying be foolish. I'm not saying be flaky, but I am saying there are times when we've just got to say, yes, sir, and then he'll reveal things to you because you believed. And as you walk it out, you see the things. And your eyes are open to the things that he wants you to see that, that you didn't get before. Now you get it. But if you wait until you figured it out, be, or you say, I'll do it once you explain it to me, you may never understand what you're looking for. You may never get the answers you're looking for. The people, I, in my experience, this is just my experience, not the Bible, it's my experience. In my experience, the people that desperately need you to explain something before they ever obey the word never really get it. You explain it to them a thousand times and they still don't get it. Why? Because they're not doers of the word. Explain it to me again and maybe I'll do it. Well, what they want you to do is to make a spiritual truth fit an intellectual, logical, reasonable truth. And it won't always do that. Jesus didn't always make sense. Explain to me how we're going to cross the Red Sea when there's Pharaoh's army behind us and a sea in front of us. Explain to me how we're going to live through the night. There's no scientific explanation for that. There's no logical explanation for that. Hebrews 11 says, By faith the Israelites crossed the Red Sea as though on dry land. And look what happened. The Egypt, it says the Egyptians tried to do the same thing. Because the Egyptians go, I don't get how that happened. But they were following their eyes. It worked for them. They're not trusting God, of course. They're, they're just saying, okay, it worked for them. Let's try it. It says when the Egyptians tried to do the same thing, they were drowned. Did you know God is going to tell you to do some things that nobody can pull off without him? He's, gonna, he's going to bring you down certain paths and give you solutions that you can't sell at chapters in the leadership section. Do you know what I mean? There are some truths in this word that that translate over to the business world. Sure. 
There's some things that make logical sense. But I am convinced that not everything in this book is going to be very practical if you don't have the Holy Spirit inside you, if, you don't, if you're not born again, if you're not relying on the strength that God has. I don't care how closely you follow it. It won't work. You can sell it and say, here's the keys that Jesus taught. Here's his leadership principles. But his leadership principles, if you want to be honest, were a little weird. And were a little bit crazy. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What kind of, how are you going to sell that? He who loves his life will lose it. But he who loses his life will find it. What? Give and it will be given unto you. Huh? Mm-mm. This doesn't make any sense. And if you're not doing it with the strength of God, you will fail. That's true. Just go ahead, try to walk on the water. Yeah. That's some of Jesus' leadership principles. Start walking on water. Without Him, you're not going to do it. Here's what He said, without, without me, you can't do anything. You may have folks like Thomas Jefferson, who was... As smart of a guy as he was, as good of a statesman as he was, wrote most of the Declaration of Independence beautifully. But he was an idiot when it came to spiritual things. Why? Because he relied up all on this brain here. Wouldn't put faith in God. So here's what he does. He gets out his scissors. And he cuts the Gospels up because he writes what we now call Jefferson's Bible which is the Gospels of Jesus Christ without any miracles and without the resurrection. Moral teachings of Jesus Christ. But do you know what? I don't believe you can follow the Sermon on the Mount without His Spirit. That's not going to work. He said, here's what the law told you to do. And you couldn't keep that. And I'm telling you, go further than the law. How are you going to do that without the Spirit? You can't. So let me, let's just get this straight. Let's get back to where we're going. Sometimes, in fact, all times, you've got to first believe the Word of God. And when you believe the Word of God, something happens. The Word of God is not just advice. It's not just counsel. It's not just communication. It is power. When God said, light be, light was. When He said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus came forth. Lazarus did not say, that's good advice. I think I'll get up. Lazarus had life. Where he was dead, he was now alive. Where he was sick, he's now healed. Organs recreated, blood cells recreated. He gets up. So when you receive the word as the word of God, then now you've got power to do what he said. Paul said, I thank God. He said to the church in Thessalonica, he said, I thank God every day that when you receive the word from me, you didn't receive it as a word from man. But as a word for what it really is, the word of God, and it is that word which is performing its work in you. You're not working for the word. The word is working in you. And it's because you said it's the word of God. When you say it's the word of God, you're not holding it to the same standard that you're holding everybody, what everybody else says. When you say it's the word of God, you just receive it and say it's the word of God. I'm not saying you have to receive everything I say. As if, I, as if I have no flaw. No, 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 no. But when we preach the word and you hear the word and the Holy Spirit puts that word in your heart, you better believe that. That's right. That's right. If I give you a piece of my opinion, take it or leave it. But if we read the word of God and speak the word of God, believe that. Right. Yes. Without a filter, just let it in. Right. Yes. 
Everything else, the Bible says, examine everything carefully and then hold fast to what is good. It doesn't say examine everything carefully and nitpick about all the bad stuff. It says examine everything carefully and then find the good and cling to it and don't let it go. Praise God. So this is, we've got to, we've got to get detoxed from, from what we learned in the world, from our deadly, cynical skepticism. Because it's eating our generation alive. It is really cool to be cynical about everything. Why? Because you can't be criticized for anything. Because if, if you don't agree with anything, nobody can knock you down. All politicians are dirty. All churches are corrupt. All Christians are hypocrites. Well, you know what? You've never identified with anything, so no one can knock you down. You're real safe in your bubble there. What have you done with your life? Real cool to criticize. I remember a musician who had been in the secular world and he got born again. He said this. He said, in my industry, it's really cool to look for God. It's not cool to find him. (laughs) Real cool to look for him to say, I'm looking for something, man. Man, I'm seeking everything, you know. But as soon as someone says, Jesus is the way. No way, man. Close-minded, dude. Just step back. You know, man, you, you used to be cool. Now you're such a stiff. I know. I'm talking in hippie voice. I don't know if there's any hippies left in the world. They all live in Nanaimo or something. But uh, that is the spirit of the age. It's the spirit of this world, and you have to recognize that that's the spirit of Antichrist that says don't believe anything says, oh, be skeptical of everything. I've heard, there was a song I heard that says, and it was by supposed Christians that says, faith needs a doubt. Really? Because Jesus says, if you have faith and don't doubt, then you could say to the mountain, move, and it'll move. Faith doesn't need doubt. Do you think that God has doubt? Doubt the world. Doubt the system. Be skeptical about the companies and all of that, but don't doubt God. And in fact, because I believe God, that changes my outlook about everything. It even changes my outlook about you. Do you know in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love believes all things, hopes all things. Now, when he says love believes all things, does that mean you believe every story anybody tells you? No. It really, another translation says it even better. Love believes the best. We should be quick to believe a God story that someone tells us, even if you don't have all the proof. Now, you don't have to go repeat it to everybody because you know what? If somebody said, if somebody said, there was a guy, he had, he had, you know, five fingers growing out of his forehead and God healed him. They all went away. Well, I may not go repeat that story until I, until I can verify it, but I don't have to doubt it right away. I can say, praise the Lord. Now, that sounds fishy right there. You would let your spirit be the judge here. But, I mean, for instance, when we tell you stories of people who get healed in the Philippines, what's your first instinct? Believe it and praise God for it. That's your first instinct. Well, we believe. He, even bigger than that, when someone says something good about you, I'm going to believe it. Until I'm shown otherwise, I'm going to believe it. And the opposite, when we get all this gossip, knocking people down behind their backs and all of that, 
You should be very skeptical of that. Doesn't matter if you trust the person that said it. Don't believe it until you hear it from the mouth of two or three witnesses. And you should, be, you should need a lot of proof before you knock people down. Before you speak against another church. Before you speak against other believers. You should need proof. Because that's how the, that's how the body of Christ gets divided. Satan loves to sow these seeds of discord amongst us and get us to talk about each other. And you know what? While we're on the subject, let's act like Jesus said to act. And if you got something against someone, go to that person. Let's stop with the he said, she said junk because it garbles up. It's like playing the game of telephone, only in a negative way. It garbles up whatever happened. I don't know, and I'm telling you this from experience. I don't know how many counseling sessions I've been in where two people have been fighting, and they sit down, and they said, well, they said this, and it hurt me. And the other person goes, that's not what I meant. But you said this. And the other person goes, that's not what I meant. Well, I heard someone told me that you said this. I didn't say that. Here's what I said. Oh, that's what you said. Boy, am I embarrassed. But we let that cause division in the body of Christ because you believe the worst about something. Because you heard something and chose to hear it in a negative way instead of a positive. Give somebody the benefit of belief. And say, that's my brother and sister in Christ. And that sounded bad, what they just said. But I'm going to believe the best that they meant it in a good way. And we say, oh, how gullible. How, oh, you're just asking to be hurt. No, I'd rather have... I'd rather love somebody. I'd rather believe the best about them. You know what? If I, if I have a doubt, I'll go to them. If they don't receive me and there's no forgiveness, there's no repentance, then we'll get some witnesses. And they don't receive those witnesses, then we go to the church. This is how Jesus said to do it. So if somebody talks to you about somebody and says, this is what they're doing. Oh, this is what they're doing over there. This is what they're doing over there. You say, have you gone to them about that? Oh, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think it's my place. Then stop. To, if it's not your place to go to them, it's not your place to talk about it. We've got to be faith people. And we've got to believe God and believe the best about each other. And when I say faith people, I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about all of us as believers because we're the body of Christ. So here is, a, we, like I said, now that's another way that we're rebelling against the, the spirit of the age. We're rebelling against the system in this generation that tells us, be skeptical. Believe the worst. It's usually true. Not when I got born again. You ever heard somebody say Murphy's Law? What idiot called that a law? Murphy's Law says if something can go wrong, it probably will go wrong. I don't know what world you live in. But once you get born again, you've got no reason for that. Have you ever heard somebody say, I... I'm not an optimist. I'm a realist. And realist equals pessimist. Why is that? Once I got born again, my reality got good. I I think we can say I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. And the reality is Jesus died for me redeemed me from every sin, every curse, every bit of death. He holds the keys. And I know I can trust Him. I'm not a pessimist because I know that the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. I know I serve the God that causes all things to work together for my good because I love Him. So here's my reality. This is going to turn out for my good because of Him. 
And I believe that. And so we got to be like children. Jesus, uh, in that same chapter, God, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says, we believe you're a teacher sent from God because you have these signs. And Jesus says to them, you've got to be like a child and be born again. How do children act? They trust, don't they? They don't think that they're higher than, they, than, than everybody else. They don't get all stuck up in their own understanding. They may not get something, but you better train your kids that if he's guzzling some bleach, you say, stop guzzling the bleach, put that bottle down, and you don't want the kid to say, explain to me why. Scientifically. Like, why is bleach bad for me? Why it's just bad for you. Explain to me scientifically why it's bad for me. What goes on in my body when I drink this? No, we don't have time for that. Get out of the road. Why? Because get out of the road. Cars could come. What kind of car? Just get out of the road. Obey first. I'll explain later. And sometimes God says that to us. Obey first. You'll understand later. Just believe me now. Didn't I prove to you that I'm worthy of your belief? That I'm trustworthy, that I'm faithful? Didn't Abraham prove to to himself and to me? Didn't he prove that God could be trusted even when it seemed crazy? Let's make our instinct to believe God and say, God, you are faithful and I believe I will get this. I will understand this. You'll reveal to me the truths of this. But first and foremost, I say yes. First and foremost, I say, yes, sir, I believe you. I'll do it. I may not get it right away, but I will get it. Obedience and faith come before understanding sometimes. But God is faithful to give you understanding. But let's not be like our neighbors and our friends in the world that say, prove it, I'll believe it. We're going to close with this at the end of the book of John. We know the story of Doubting Thomas, right? Would you hate to get stuck with that name for the rest of history? Because this guy went on to be a pretty awesome apostle. Going to India, getting, you know, he died a martyr's death, stabbed with a spear. I mean, he preached the gospel the rest of his life in power, fearlessly. And But we keep calling him Doubting Thomas because that was kind of his, his Hall of Fame moments in the, in the gospels were him being a little bit doubting. And of course, he says... We mainly get it from after the resurrection. I give you background. The disciples had been to the tomb, most of them. Then they're gathered together and Jesus appears to them. He shows them his wounds. Then he breathes on them and says, receive the spirit. Now, some of those disciples, in fact, most of them, when they saw the empty tomb, it says they believed. It says when he appeared to them, they were glad. Those are all proper responses. Thomas wasn't with them. We give him a little bit of a break because he wasn't there. He didn't have the spirit like everybody else did. I'm talking about Jesus' spirit that he breathed into them. He didn't have that like the rest of them. He didn't see him like the rest of them. He's still yet to see him. But he says something dumb. And here's what he says. We're going to John chapter 20. Verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand at his side, 
I will not believe. The English Standard Version says, I will never believe. That's because in the Greek, it is very, uh, it's, it's speaking in the future and very definite. That unless this happens, there's not a chance that I will believe. Not, not I can be convinced. Not you can talk me into it. I won't believe unless I do this. So you almost can't blame him for wanting to see Jesus, but then he, he gets really uppity here and says, I won't believe unless I do this and do this and do this. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving but believing. Now listen, that's, that's really what we want to take home tonight is this phrase that Jesus says, don't be unbelieving, be believing. You notice he doesn't say, stop, stop doubting and believe me. Because he's not just talking about this moment. He's talking about the rest of your life, Thomas. Don't be unbelieving, be believing. And this is what Jesus wants to say to you tonight. Don't be unbelieving. Don't be faithless. Don't be someone who instinctively doubts everything. Retrain yourself by the word of God to be a believer. Who Your first instinct is to believe. Don't take that into the world and when you're turning on CNN, use that same attitude. I'm talking about when you're thinking about God, when you're opening up his word, when you're hearing the word of God. Don't be unbelieving. Be believing. And he says to Thomas, Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. One great thing about Thomas here is he's the first one to call Jesus God. Peter called him the son of the living God. Thomas is the first one of the disciples to get that he was God himself. So he gets some points. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. Now, this echoes something that he said earlier in the Gospels. He said to a group of people, he said, he said, if you don't believe me, believe in the works themselves. He says, if you don't believe what I say, at least believe what I've done. And that statement and what he, what he just did for Thomas proves to me that God is merciful enough that even for people that don't believe him at his word, he will at times show them something. He's merciful for some of those doubters, and you may have been one of them, where you didn't believe the word and he showed you something. Thank God. But there were a lot of people that saw the miracles and still didn't believe. And it was those that were condemned by their own actions. But Jesus is so good. He's so faithful that even if you didn't believe the first time, sometimes he'll come back and you didn't believe the word, he'll give you a sign. But please, take a cue from Thomas and don't be one of those people. Because more blessed, blessed are the people that believe when they haven't seen. And if we take John eleven forty 40 to heart, we believe this. Blessed are they, and or I'm sorry, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. That's the order of things, is to say, we say seeing is believing. Well, here's a, here's a Christian way to put it. Believing is seeing. Because the Bible says now faith is what? 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The conviction or the evidence of things unseen. So this is the reality for us. Is that faith is more real than what we can see. What we can't see is more real than what we can touch and feel. That we've got to be believers. And as Jesus said, and this is the last thing. If you just dozed off during half the message. Come back to me right now. And hear this. Here's the words of Jesus. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. Make it your instinct to instantly believe God. Don't take coaxing. Don't, don't ask for all these proofs and signs. You know what? He's a faithful God. If you believe Him, you'll get those proofs and signs. The Bible says signs and wonders always confirm the Word. They always follow the Word. You believe the Word, it'll prove out. Prove me now in this. God's not afraid of that. But don't be one of those people that waits for that. Because that hesitation can be the difference between all that God has for you and you getting second best. Now, even if you got second best, God is so faithful, He'll often get you a path right back to the best. But don't wait for that. Don't wait for it. Can we reject the spirit of this age and embrace the spirit of God and say, God, you tell me to run across the field and there's an army on the other side shooting at me. And there's nobody with me, but I'm just running. I will do this. Because people like David learned, through my God, I can run through a troop. I can leap over a wall. <laughs> it's crazy stuff, guys. But this is somebody that believes God and hears the word and goes, okay, you said it. It sounds crazy, but I believe it. Guys like Peter that say, just tell me to walk out there and I'll walk on the water. Don't prove, you don't have to prove to me how that's possible. You don't have to explain to me what this what the spiritual or physical laws at work are here. Just tell me, come, and I'll come. And maybe, not, maybe later Jesus will sit down with you and go, here's why that happened. Here's why that worked. I want to teach you something, son. But don't be like the people in the world. Say, prove it to me and I'll believe. Say, I'll believe and it'll be proven. Amen. Don't be unbelieving. Be believing.